You have been listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church. We invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For more information, visit day3church.com. Good morning again. We're doing a series this month entitled Generosity, and uh, it, it's really kind of verse by verse. But we didn't even come up with any different titles for from Sunday to Sunday, so it's kind of a verse by verse study of generosity uh, in in Second Corinthians eight and Second Corinthians nine. Uh, so we're going to pick up in in verse sixteen uh, this morning, and if uh, you'll find your place there in your Bibles, uh, I'm going to uh, lead us in in prayer, and then we'll. Uh, We'll go ahead and jump into it. So uh, let's pray. Father, we uh, Father, we thank you that we have every reason in the world, those of us that know Christ, to be generous because you have been so generous with us by sending your best, your son, to die on the cross for our sins. He paid everything for us. Father, we recognize based upon your word that, that you own it all, that it is all your creation. <clears throat> so Father, we just pray that you help us to learn from you. We pray that you help us to be more generous. We pray that you help us to be more like Jesus and generosity. Father, we pray that we view the finances you bless us with correctly, that instead of looking at it as being something just to be consumed for ourselves, that we're to recognize that you want us to use it to impact the lives of others. For it's in, uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the motives we, uh, we have in this series, of course, is our, is our African mission trip uh, that is before us. And I think maybe at the end of the service today, uh, Lynn Crump will be here and, and probably just share with you a couple more things uh, about their uh, trip, how that is coming together, some updates on it. As I said, you can look at the chart and kind of see where we are. We're a little bit more than halfway uh, in what it will require to put the, uh, the roof on the uh, church there in the bush. Uh, please don't think of it as a as just a building project because you see it's a building so people's lives can come in and hear about Jesus and know about Jesus on the other side of the world. And to me, that's amazing that we get that opportunity to do something like that. As I said earlier, you know, we're at the point right now, if you had about 45 people give $100 each, then that, you know, that takes care of that part of it anyway, the roof being uh, placed upon. But let me share a little bit more with you later. Uh, about that. We recognize as we deal with generosity, as I've also mentioned every Sunday, it is a tough economic time uh, all across our, our world, really, if you'll keep up with the news, but especially even in this area, it is a, uh, it is a hard economic time. Uh, so we are really trying to help you some, I think, by dealing with this series. Uh, some might uh, think, well, why in the world are we talking about giving when, when I can't hardly make it by my, myself? Well, see, to be honest with you, I, I think that's when God really challenges our hearts because we ought to have our faith in Him, not in our pocketbooks to start with, you know? I think that's why maybe we are where we are economically in America today because we don't need to trust in the Almighty Dollar. We need to trust in Almighty God and realize that He's the one that can get us through. And our generosity should not just be based in our circumstances. Our generosity ought to be based in our convictions, what we believe. You know, what the, what the Bible calls us uh, to do is where our generosity ought to be based. And, and as I said, as I was praying a moment ago, we've got the greatest example you could possibly have of generosity, but it's looking at Jesus and, uh, and what Jesus has done uh, for us. 
Um, what we've looked at so far, we're going to look at 10 principles. What the Apostle Paul is, is doing is uh, writing to the church at Corinth because they were taking up a mission offering for needy believers who were suffering in Jerusalem. And they had agreed a year previous to get the offering together, but now, you know, they don't have it finished yet. So Paul is kindly challenging these new believers in Corinth to raise the finances. He's using the Macedonian church that was a very poor church, and Corinth was kind of a rich church, but he's using the Macedonian church as an example to challenge them to go ahead and give because the Macedonians had given with great joy out of extreme poverty. Uh, so that's the, the background of what's taking place in this passage of Scripture. The principles we've learned up to now are these. Principle number one is that our generosity displays the grace of God because He displayed His grace through generosity. You and I have the chance to display God's grace by being generous. Principle number two was that generosity is an important part of the Christian faith. Uh, we fail to leave that out sometimes. We think about discipleship or maybe worship or whatever it might be as being really important parts of the Christian faith. So is generosity. Uh, principle number three, the example of Jesus, the fact of what Jesus did, leaving heaven, coming to this earth, dying on the cross for our sins. All that Christ has done should compel us to generosity in our own lives. Principle number four uh, these two we looked at last week, generosity is a plan and proportionate commitment. If it's really going to happen, you kind of have to plan uh, for it to happen. You know, you don't go out and build a house. We've got a couple of people in the church that are contractors and things like that. You just don't go out and build a house without doing a little bit of planning. Uh, so you know, you know exactly the, the supplies you need, the footprint of it, you know, what comes next and everything like that. Well, that's true in a lot of areas in our life, and it's also true in our generosity. We kind need to plan, and, uh, and God expects us to give based upon what we have, not what we don't have, uh, so he understands what we have to begin with, so it's a proportionate commitment also. And then principle number five is this, generosity involves equality. In other words, all of us together can give and be generous and have a larger impact than we can just a, a few people trying to do it by themselves. Today we're going to look at two more principles in generosity that Paul gives us in this passage of, of Scripture. Uh, and then next week, uh, the Lord will, we'll finish up with, with three uh, <clears throat> more principles that he, uh, that he has uh, for us to, to, to look at next week. But anyway, look at these uh, next principles that we have before us today. Here's principle number six. And instead of reading all the verses to start with, I'm just going to hit them as we go uh, through the uh, message today and kind of maybe save us a little bit of time by doing that. But principle number six is this. Generosity deserves godly stewardship or slash management. The reason I put management up there is that stewardship is one of those churchy words that people may not gravitate toward today and understand exactly what it means. So think management. If you hear stewardship, think management. God expects us to be good, good managers. Um, as we look at these verses, we need to understand that from a ministry standpoint, from a church standpoint, as we ask people to give, the generosity of people, it kind of needs a safe place for them to be generous. You understand that? They need to have confidence in where they are given. They need to understand that, uh, that they can give and, and their giving will be honored, that it will not be mismanaged in, in some way. 
regrettably, and, and you know yourself from thinking back through your life over the years, things that have hit the news and everything like that, regrettably, many times there have been well-known Christian organizations who have hit the news because of, of either you know financial mismanagement or maybe even outright criminal activity when, when it came to the way they were managing finances. And you see, when that happens, that causes people to have a question mark. And to be honest with you guys, I've seen this. You know, whenever you have these ministries that are not like us anyway, but they're, you know, kind of on TV and nationally known, when they slip and fall, you know what the world tends to do? They just lump all of us in together, you know? They just view all Christians and all churches the same way. So if someone has a major failure in this area of managing funds, it hurts the generosity of people because instantly people become, you know, kind of skeptical and they're wondering, well, what's really being done with the finances? Because we hear this hit the news about all these Christian organizations. Well, see, Paul understood that back in this time period that we're looking at. He understood that generosity needed to have a safe place to be exercised. He understood that it needed to be above board. He understood that, that people needed to realize that there's accountability and things like that involved. So up to this point, as Paul was writing to the Corinthian believers, he had been giving them some spiritual principles for generosity. Now he's going to give some very practical principles for generosity and given that the church still ought to use, you know, and other organizations ought to use. And that's what we're going to look at in these verses, some really uh, principles that he sets forward that can, can help us have, you know, the right type of stewardship or the right type of, of management. Because if people give, their, their giving ought to be handled correctly. You could basically say this, that Paul is more or less saying gifts should be handled honestly. That's what he's saying in this passage of Scripture. That, that gifts should be handled in an, honest, in an honest way. So how can we do this? How, how can we have the right kind of management when it comes to people's generosity or people giving? Well, I think to start with, in verse 16 and 17, Paul maybe says this. He, he's saying stewardship and management should be based in earnest care. Look what he says. He says, But thanks be to God who put it into the heart of Titus, the same earnest care I have for you. But he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, is going to you of his own accord. Now I want you to notice what the, the, these words mean, a couple of them that he, he uses here for earnest. Earnest care more or less means speed. He, he's saying that Titus was willing to really care for you. Uh, Paul is kind of giving a, a, a commendation to, to Titus. He's bragging on Titus a little bit. And he's telling these Corinthian believers that, that just as I care for you, Titus cares for you. He speedily, he, he with eagerness, he with earnestness, kind of with a, even a business or a diligent approach to it, that's how Titus cares for you. And he even said that he's very earnest. And in that phrase means, you know, more prompt or more earnest or more diligent. It's like even more so than just earnest care is what Paul is saying. Now, and I recognize he's kind of bragging on Titus and he's giving Titus a, a commendation, like I said, for, for him having a heart to care for the Corinthian believers. But you see, in with really caring for somebody, you also ought to be concerned about things like their generosity, things like they're giving. And, and, and we in church ministries still yet today, we ought to have an earnest care 
for people loving them totally, but that includes giving them a safe place to give. That includes their generosity. That includes us having earnest care over what they give because if they're willing to give it, their, their generosity really deserves their, their finances being managed in a good way. Stewardship and management also requires this. And this is where Paul really you know, lays out some nitty-gritty stuff that, that churches ought to be aware of. Uh, stewardship slash management requires accountability. Requires accountability. There, there ought to be a way that the funds are tracked. There ought to be a way that someone understands there's accountability in the way the monies are being managed. Paul was really concerned about this. Paul did not want someone to have an occasion uh, against him or against the gospel or against the church as they're taking this offering up for it to be sent down to Jerusalem to help those needy believers. He wanted it to be so above board that it could be impeccable so that people could not have any accusation. So he kind of lets us know here that accountability needs to take place. Uh, he, he lays out some practices for accountability as we walk through these verses, verse 18 through 21. First of all, you can have accountability through approved and appointed individuals helping with finances. You can have accountability in ministry by having approved and appointed individuals handling finances. Look at what he says in these two verses, verse 18 and 19. With him, talking about Titus, we are sending the brother who is famous among the churches for his preaching of the gospel. Now, a lot of people have conjecture who that is, and, and, and I, as I was reading commentaries this week, studying this passage of Scripture, some will say, well, it might be this, and he even alludes to other people in just a moment that it's being sent to help get the offering together and that will go to help deliver the missions offering to Jerusalem, but he doesn't call all of them by name, so, I mean, who knows? You know, there's, there's no reason to debate who it is. Paul's just saying that it's someone that they would have been familiar with, that they would have confidence in. He's famous among all all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. Not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us. What he's saying is this, Titus, along with this other person, will also go with Paul when they go to Jerusalem to deliver the missions offering. Uh, and he said he's been appointed by the churches to travel with us. You see, that adds accountability. And then it says, for the glory of of the Lord himself and, and to show our goodwill. Uh, the word appointed literally means to stretch the hand. It, it's given the picture of somebody raising their hand up to vote. So like, while we don't know the names of all these other people that are being sent, by virtue of them being appointed and approved by the church, evidently they had very good Christian character. The people felt comfortable with them, so they were willing to vote and say, we want these people to help oversee this missions offering, and that'll add accountability. In other words, think about it like this. Paul did not just choose his own team to go and take care of the offering. Because had Paul been the only one to have chosen the team to oversee the finances, then there might have been some question marks as to, well, maybe Paul's low to the deck here, you know? You know, maybe Paul's got someone that, that's going to, you know, give him some money on the side. We won't even know it. Maybe they're in cahoots together. Uh, so Paul's, Paul is sending Titus as his personal representative to go to Corinth to help finish the offering. But along with that, there will be other individuals going who have been appointed by the church. And that just adds accountability. When you have more eyes seeing what takes place, 
That, that increases accountability and, and honesty. And, and that's kind of the principle that Paul is laying out here, that in order to help people be generous, they need to understand that everything is above board. And, and Paul here is letting them know, look, yes, I'm sitting in Titus, but the churches have also voted and selected these other people to help oversee this offering. Accountability also comes through multiple individuals overseeing finances, through multiple individuals overseeing uh, finances. He, he said this, and not only that, but he's been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us. I rubbed shoulders with, with this principle a moment ago. I recognized that, but I wanted to spell it out just as a separate point so you'd understand clearly that accountability was added to this missions offering that Paul has taken up by having more than one set of eyes, by, by having several people. Now, I'll, uh, later in the end of the message, I'll kind of go over with you some about our system and, and things like that, but you just need to recognize that having multiple people involved, people that are approved, people that have been appointed to do this, to help provide oversight of the management of church finances, that helps people to be generosity or to be generous rather to practice generosity because they, they have confidence in what's taking place. That's what Paul wanted these people to have. He's asking for an offering from these people in Corinth to help the people in Jerusalem. He wants to, them to have confidence that they can give knowing it's really going to do what it's supposed to do. I mean, we've got the illustration before us right now. If you give toward Africa, you want to know it's spent where? In Africa. You want to know it's put in the roof on that building there and all. And, and that's kind of the same thing that Paul's doing here. He's, he's just letting them know there's some, there's some accountability. Accountability also ought to be for this reason. It ought to be for the glory of God. It ought to be for the glory of God. He, he, he wrote there, for the glory of God. He's writing about accountability, how they're going to manage this offering. The fact that the offering, when it's delivered from the Gentile church to those in Jerusalem, how that will be for the glory of God. And he says, for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. Specifically, Paul's saying this, as, as you, the Gentile churches, take up this offering for the Jewish church that's in Jerusalem, it'll be to God's glory, and it'll also you know, show your goodwill toward those Jewish believers in Jerusalem. But it's not much of a stretch. And glory means, you know, here this word means very apparent. It's like you're making it very clear how great God is. But it's not much of a stretch to say, yes, what they're doing would would glorify God by taking this missions offering to Jerusalem, but in with it, it also glorifies God if you manage it right. I alluded to this just a few minutes ago of what the way, the way many well-known over the years Christian-based organizations have hit the news for mismanagement of funds or outright criminal activity when it comes to funds. You know what happens whenever that occurs? I told you that we get grouped in with it, but here's also what happens. It hurts the glory of God. It hurts the going forth of the gospel. It hurts the way people view Christianity. It hurts the way people view Jesus. And it, you know, it puts a spin on it almost to where it looks like uh, you know, everybody's just in it for the money, you know? Uh, 
You got all these schemes and things like this that happen on TV. People go in for it. I mean, honest. I, I don't understand some of it. You know, I, I don't. I don't think any. I don't see why any of you guys would want. Uh, you know, anyone here, guys or ladies, either one, would would want a handkerchief that I have sweated and prayed over, and you're willing to send fifty dollars for me to give it to you. You know, I mean, if you give me a hundred dollars, I'll blow my nose on it. You know, and, and, but, but there's all these schemes and, 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 and systems, you know, that, that they use. And, 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 and it just comes across and it gives a bad taste to our world and a bad taste to our culture. So we, we ought to have accountability when it comes to our finances for the very glory of God. So, so there can be stewardship that will show people it is being managed correctly instead of managed incorrectly and bringing shame to God instead of instead of glory to God. Accountability also ought to do this. We need accountability when it comes to finances to protect the character or the reputation of individuals in ministry. To protect the character or the reputation of individuals in ministry. It goes along with this running illustration I've been giving you this morning. I'll be kind enough not to call out some names, but I could call out some names of some Christian leaders that have been on TV in the past. And as soon as I do it, you know what the first thing you're going to think of? The first thing you're going to think of is not maybe the good that they did. The first thing you're going to think of is all the other negative stuff. Paul writes these words. We take this course. In other words, we're doing this to have accountability. We take this course. We're, we're having these other people involved. We're having multiple eyes over the finances and helping to manage this offering. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. Look at some of the words that's used here in the regional Greek. When he says we take this course, in the Greek that was used several ways. It, it was used to talk about setting fast or, or stalling something, you know, kind of holding something back. He, he said, I, I'm wanting to, you know, set fast and stall the chance that anyone will have an occasion against Christian ministry. That anyone will have an occasion against us because of the way this offering is being handled. He's trying to repress any chance for rumors. He's trying to abstain from associating with it, even looking like it's not above board. He's trying to avoid or withdraw himself from the possibility of being accused of mismanaging the finances. That's what Paul is saying. He said, we don't want to, to blame. We're taking this course and no one will be able to blame us, to discredit us, to censor us, to to, to think that there's some flaw or blot in our ministry, to, for, for us to be disgraceful or fault to be found. He said, for we aim. Some translations say providing for. And, and that phrase means to consider in advance, look out beforehand, by, you know, actively by way of maintenance for others. Paul's just saying this. If we, if we want to have the right impact down the road in our giving to missions, we can't afford to ruin it now by it being mismanaged. He's saying, we, we, he's recognizing up front how skeptical people are, how quick they are to jump to conclusions, how quick they are to want to associate blame and accusation. That's why Paul's saying we've got to do all this in a way that's above board so there will not be any chance for, for someone 
down the road to accuse us. Instead, he said we're shooting for being honorable is what he's saying. We, we want the way we do this offering and giving and manage the generosity of others. We want it to be done in a beautiful way. It needs to be done in a good way. It needs to be done in a valuable or a virtuous or a worthy way in the sight of God, he said, before the face of rather than hidden and in the sight of man. Now, Paul's not saying that you could do anything and God not know it. You understand that. God sees and God knows everything. He's saying from our perspective, from our end, Paul's saying from his end, from the people involved in this mission offering, he's saying it needs to be done in a way that we recognize God's watching and God sees. But he's also saying it needs to be done in a way that it's not hidden before men. Because if it's hidden before men and there's skepticism there, that hurts the generosity of the heart. Instead of setting people free to where they can give with great generosity, to where they can give knowing that they're giving makes an impact for the kingdom of God, makes an impact for souls for Jesus. Instead of giving with that assurance in their heart, if it's not above board, then it causes people to, to withdraw. That's why Paul's saying we need, we need accountability here. He was anxious that no one could accuse him or the ministry of misusing these funds that they were getting together to take to Jerusalem. He was so concerned about it, he has other people to handle the money instead of himself. And that's a good business practice in churches and Christian organizations still. Everything ought to be ought to be recepted and it ought to be recorded to where people have a record of what's been given and how it's been used. Some churches really can... I I had someone contact me a couple of years ago and it doesn't matter, you know, what what church, but it was someone in that church calling him and asking me for advice. And what happened, uh, there had been about $30,000 or so uh, spent uh, with with a debit card, and uh, and they couldn't track it and know what had happened with it, and and it was bringing uh, it was bringing skepticism against this particular pastor in this particular church, and somebody called and wanted me to know, uh, you know, ask my advice about it, and and everything, and uh, and you see, here's the deal with that: there are two people at fault there, two groups at fault. One is the person using the debit card. The other person at fault was the church for not having a system in place that would let it be tracked. You know, just to let you know up front, I was going to share this at the end, but we use debit cards. You know, John has to buy things for a ministry. I have to buy things, you know, for the church and pick things up. Daryl has to do the same thing. But you know what also has to happen? We have to give in a signed receipt telling our secretary, treasurer, exactly what account it comes out of, exactly how it's used. And if a church does that, there's no way you're going to wind up down the road with $30,000 spent and saying, we don't know where it went. That's what Paul is working against here. He's saying it needs to be accountable. More than one person involved, more than one person overseeing it. Guys, there have been a lot of Christian workers and ministers that have lost their power and their testimony because of the misuse or careless use in handling God's money that's been given. Paul's rightly concerned about this. He's rightly concerned about his own character because you see, it's not just Paul's character at stake. It's the going forth of the gospel. Look at how God used the Apostle Paul. We've got hindsight to it. Imagine 
if that had all been ruined halfway through or whatever because of misuse of funds on his behalf. See, it wasn't just about Paul saying, I don't want people to think bad of me. Paul saying, I don't want it to hurt the ministry. I don't want it to hurt the message going forth. I don't want it to hurt the glory of God. And that's why he's putting all these systems in place here that we still need to practice in, in our own ministries and in our own lives. Paul didn't want anyone suspicious of how he or the ministry was handling the money. And you see, the Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 22, tells us this. Abstain from all appearances of evil. By the way, I just quoted the King James. So someone ever said, oh, day three is just a liberal church. They never... <laughs> Abstain from all appearances of evil. That means think about what it looks like before you do it. And even if, it, even if it's not you really being evil, if it appears to be evil, it's a problem. That needs to be a criteria for things in ministry. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. You want to know why we have glass doors going into Daryl's office, into my office? Because I don't want there to be the chance of anything ever happening in the offices of our church that should not happen, and you can see through into those offices. That's why we've got glass doors. That's not saying I think that Daryl and myself or John, or somebody else is going to have some moral failure, that's saying up front, we're trying to limit the possibility of something appearing to be evil. That's what Paul is about in, in this passage of Scripture, is he gives very good advice, very good principles for how stewardship ought to be managed. Stewardship also not only should be managed with accountability, stewardship should be managed or be performed by, by faithful individuals. Look at what else he says. And with them... We're sending our brother, whom we have often tested. You see that? He, he's sending somebody that's proven themselves. He's, he's got somebody else going along besides Titus and besides the guy that was famous for, for preaching the gospel. He, he's sending somebody else that probably the Corinthians don't know. So Paul is giving some confidence to these Corinthians as this fellow is being sent. He, he said, I'm sending the brother whom we've often tested. And we found earnest in many areas, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. And I'll come to this in greater detail in a few moments here at the, in the next main point in the message. But Paul, he, he's kind of using some reverse psychology. You see that? He, he's asking these Corinthians believers, they, they started the offering a year ago, it's not done yet. But instead of Paul just saying, why haven't you done it? And fussing at them, Paul is approaching it like this. He said, I'm sending this person that he's been tested, but you know what? He's all the more earnest right now because he's got great confidence in you. He's bragging on them in advance because he thinks they're going to finish it. That kind of you know, makes you want to do it, you know, instead of just being fussed at. And as for Titus, he's my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the, the glory of Christ. Now, once again, some words you need to see here in these verses that, uh, that Paul uses. He's talking about this individual. He said he's been tested. And that word means to prove. He, he, he's tested him. He's proved himself. So he's approved as someone that ought to be trusted in ministry. And that's the kind of people we need faithful people overseeing finances in churches, people who have proved themselves. 
He, he's a partner. He refers to Titus as being a partner. He's my share. He's, he's my associate. He's my companion. So he's talking about how, how faithful Titus is because he's a very partner with the Apostle Paul himself. He said, he's my fellow worker. He's labored with me. He's a faithful individual. And he's also sending these others who are messengers from the church. It's like there's delegation being sent from the church to go help with this offering. And the word that's used is the same word that we use for the word apostle. It's someone that's a delegate. It's an ambassador for the gospel. It's someone that's been officially commissioned for Christ as an apostle. That's the word that he uses to refer to these other people that have been appointed to go take the offering up. Now, now take this away from that just maybe. Whatever you do, if it's counting money, if it's helping to pass a plate, we don't pass the plate, we use these pedestals. If it's going in and unlocking it and getting it out and counting it and putting it in the safe, whatever you do, if it's sweeping the floor, you know what you ought to think of it as is ministry? Whatever you do, you're an ambassador for Christ. You know, that ought to change the way you handle it. You're sweeping the floor around this place. You ought to view yourself, you're doing it as an ambassador for Christ. If you're just out there helping people park, you're doing it as an ambassador for Christ. You see how high value that puts on it instead of just a, a, just a, a nothing job? Those things are important, just as important as standing up here leading worship or preaching. Those things are important, and we ought to view whatever we're doing, whether it be like these individuals being sent to help oversee this offering, we ought to view that we're ambassadors for Christ, and that ought to change the way we do it. That ought to, that ought to add some accountability in our heart, motivation in our heart to do it the best that, that we can. Stewardship also, or management, should lastly, before we get into the next point, should lastly do this. Stewardship or management should encourage generosity. Look, look at what he said in verse 24. So He writes to these Corinthian believers, So give proof before the churches of your love and our boasting about you to these men. Now here's more or less what Paul's just done. Paul had been giving them spiritual principles up until today, the, principles, the points that we're looking at today. He'd been giving them some spiritual reasons why they ought to give. Now today... In the verses we're looking at, Paul started giving them some practical principles to use in managing the offering and why they ought to give because they can see it's, the people are accountable. They can see it's being managed correctly. So Paul's just finished telling them, look, this is how we're doing it. It's all above board. It's all clear how it's being done. Then Paul says, as a result of that, so, as a result of that, as a result of me just telling you how everything is being managed and, 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 and dealt with correctly, so, now, here's what you need to do, believers in Corinth. You need to give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. In other words, finish the offering. Finish the mission gift. Finish it for those believers down in Jerusalem. Do it now with confidence because I've just told you everything's above board. you see what he's saying? So, see, our stewardship and management of your generosity, of your giving in this particular place, because this is the only place I've got any, any say-so at all over this place. I don't have say-so of another church. But your generosity, I need to be concerned, our leadership needs to be concerned that you can feel generous and be free to be generous in this place. Because if you know it's steward right and managed right, that ought to encourage your generosity. 
instead of you having a question mark on it. Really practical stuff, right? You know? Really practical stuff that Paul gives here that needs to be used in, in, in church ministry still yet. More or less, he's just saying, your gifts will be managed honestly with God's glory in mind, so now you can give with great generosity because it's going to be managed correctly. That's what Paul's telling him. Principle number seven is this. Comparison with other ministries can also help motivate generosity. Comparison with other ministries can also help motivate some generosity. What, what Paul does here, he, he started out you know, in the beginning of this text when we started this sermon series. What Paul did, he took the Macedonian believers and their generosity and their extreme poverty, and even though they were in extreme poverty and suffering themselves out of great joy, they were willing to be generous. So he's kind of doing a little competitive type thing. These, these believers in Corinth that were doing pretty good financially, Paul is saying, hey, I want you to look over here at this Macedonian church that's suffering and going through a lot of difficulty, but they gave with joy. You see, he's, he's, he's playing out some, a, little bit of, a little bit of competitiveness with them. Last week, I, I, I used this illustration that Paul is kind of like a, a coach at halftime. And you're kind of halfway through. I mean, we're kind of halfway through our missions offering over here, you know. And, he, and he's kind of like a coach at halftime. And he's kind of saying, you've done pretty good, but now you need to finish it. So, so for us, I mean, we, we've done pretty good, but now we need to, we need to finish it. We've uh, we got a lot more opportunities than just that before us. You know, they're, they're going back to Guatemala uh, uh, again. Uh, this, this past Sunday, Will, at the end of the service, uh, told you about these uh, uh, orange, uh, orange armbands here that sell them for $5 to help Cindy Price's brother because he's having to be uh, treated for a, a leukemia, and it's very expensive where he's having to stay and everything as he gets these treatments and, and everything. So uh, he sold out last week. He didn't have enough faith. He didn't bring enough. Uh, he's got a bag backstage I saw earlier. So that's just a way you can be generous and help in somebody's life. But what, what Paul is doing, he's saying, look, you've done pretty good to this point. Let's finish it. I don't know how many armbands he's got back there today. Let's buy every one of them. Don't even let the people at the second service have a one. How's that? <laughs> then he can bring more back next week. Well, we've got all kinds of, uh, of chances to be generous. And, and Paul's like a coach looking at them halfway through the game. And he's saying, you've done good, but let's, let's finish the game. Paul's also doing this. If you know anything about the church at Corinth, uh, I'm sorry, uh, back up to stand. Paul, Paul's also doing this. If you know anything about the church at Corinth, if you've ever studied it, there's a lot that Paul writes in, in First and Second Corinthians dealing with spiritual gifts. You want to know why? Spiritual gifts, they were, the spiritual gifts was causing a problem in the fellowship of the believers at Corinth because they were getting jealous over each other. You know, it's, it's like, well, my spiritual gift is better than yours. I can do this and you can't do this. I can speak in tongues and you can't speak in tongues. All, all kinds of things that they were, they were saying. They were really focused and really prideful about their spiritual gifts. So Paul knew that because he was writing to them because of it. So Paul uses a little bit of spiritual psychology and he keys in on their competitive spirit to try and get them to finish taking this offering. Go ahead and go to the next slide now. 
What Paul does is this. He, he kind of provides some encouraging reinforcement to motivate generosity. Like I said, he's using a little bit of spiritual psychology. You, you've heard people say you can, you can attract more bees with honey than vinegar. You know, you've heard that phrase before. I've, I've noticed this, and, and, and guys, I, I, I fail more than I got it right, probably because a lot of times I'd spew vinegar out instead of honey. <laughs> but I, I did notice over the years sometimes if, if you use some encouraging reinforcement with my kids, they responded to that better than if I'm spewing acid, you know? So instead of Paul just trying to come down with a heavy hand on these Corinthian believers and fuss at them and be angry with them because they've not finished the offering, what he does is, is use a little bit of psychology, a little bit of encouraging reinforcement to help motivate their generosity. Look at what he says. Now, it's superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you, the people of Macedonia. Saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. That, that word for superfluous, I know, how many of you used the word last week? I didn't think so. Uh, it, it means kind of superabundant. It means, it, you know, kind of going beyond. It, really what he's saying this, me even saying this to you is excessive. Now, now, Paul knew that they had not finished the offering. He's wanting them to finish the offering. But Paul's kind of bragging on them a little bit. He's giving them some credit. He's saying, really, it's overkill for me to say anything else to you about it. So he, he's showing his trustworthiness in, in their intent. And he said, I've been boasting about you to the people of Macedonia. I've been bragging about what you're going to do. So you see, that kind of boisters them to want to do it, you know? A little bit of encouraging reinforcement. And he said, your zeal stirred up most of them to, you know, to where they'll have this desire to, to, to finish their offering themselves. Not only can you provide a little bit of encouraging reinforcement. And, and I hope you hear that from me. I hope anytime we're doing stuff like special offerings or trying to meet budget or anything like that. Anytime... I, I don't, if you guys will be honest, if you've been around here very long, I don't preach money much, do I? Amen, huh? I hate to do it. I'll be honest with you, I hate to do it. Because I think people misunderstand it a lot of times. But you know what? I have to do it because it's part of what? The Bible. So I don't want you to ever misunderstand, you know, like it's, you know, just, uh, you know, being put on the carpet for it, you know? You, you guys have done great so far because we got kind of late start of doing this. And I, it amazes me that that's almost half up. And, and man, what you gave to, to send that group to Guatemala at Christmas time, that just blew me away, you know, and, uh, and everything. And a lot of churches are run behind budget. We're not. I'll give you some figures in, in just a moment. So, I, you know, I, I, I appreciate your, your, your generosity. At the same time, I know we could do a lot more. And what I'm just trying to do is give you a little bit of encouraging reinforcement, you know. Not only can you maybe motivate generosity by giving that type of encouraging reinforcement to people, you can also do it by establishing a little bit of competitive nature, a little bit of competitive comparison. And that's what Paul does here. 
Look at verse 3 and 5 through 5. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove to be vain in this matter. So that you may be ready as I said you would be. Look at what Paul's doing. Do you, do you read the way he's saying that? He, he's saying, I'm, I'm sending people to see what you're doing, and I boasted to them, so don't let me down. I've already told them you would be, and they're coming to see. Otherwise, if some Macedonians, by the way, who remember, they're over here, the poor Macedonian church, suffering, and yet they gave with a lot of joy. Other words, uh, otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you're not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you. In other words, you're going to be humiliated too for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead. He's planning. He's preparing. You see that? He's wanting to be sure they don't have a bump in the road. He's wanting to be sure they don't fail to follow through with the offering. So he's sending some people in advance to help prepare them. In advance for the gift you've promised, so that it might be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. Look at some of what he says here. Paul's taking these steps because he don't want his words, his bragging upon them to prove vain, to be empty, to be false, to be of no effect or no reputation. Paul is sending these believers, this A-team more or less. He's kind of like a coach sending in his, his first team to finish the game, the first squad, the best squad. He's, he's sending them in to be sure this offering is finished so Paul said, so he won't be humiliated, and so they won't be humiliated, so they won't be shamed down or disgraced or put to blush. He's urging them to go, talking about the ones he's sending, he's urging them to go and help arrange in advance, prepare in advance the offering so it will be ready and there will not be anyone ashamed at all that they did not meet their goal. That's what he's saying. And you see, he sends these people to kind of provoke them to good works, and that's what we're told to do in the Bible. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 says, And, and let us consider how to stir one another up. There's a whole message right there, you know. The problem is most of the time Christians stir each other up the wrong way, don't we? In churches are known for backbiting, infighting, gossiping, and everything else. But that's not the way we're to stir each other up. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. We, we ought to do what Paul's doing. We ought to provoke each other. We ought to encourage each other. And I encourage you. We've got about three weeks left. I'd, I'd, like, to, I'd like to have to tell Brandy to take some chalk and go on up on the wall <laughs> and mess our paint job up. We freak out about that, as you can tell around here, if you're right on the walls. I'd love to see her go all the way up to the ceiling and keep coloring, wouldn't you? To where we don't have to feel like we're humiliated in some way. Paul's doing this all above board. He wants them to give it from a willing heart. He doesn't want them to think that they've been extorted or anything fraudulent has happened at all. He's saying, I want you to give out of a willing heart to meet this need. 
of these believers in Jerusalem. And that's what God wants from us. He wants willing hearts. He wants us to give with generosity. He wants us to, to, to be able to say, like Paul said, if you give to our ministry, we're above reproach in, in our handling of finances. See, some of the worst things that can happen to people's giving is after they give it, it's mismanaged. Because that dries up the generosity that they have in their heart. Paul is saying, look, if you give to this mission offering, we're going to manage it in the right way. Paul saying, I'm not going to touch the money. I don't oversee the money. Titus is going to help do that. I've got a financial team of other guys that are coming. They've been tested. They're approved. There's a system in place. They're gifted to do what they do. You can give with confidence. I hope we can always say that at day three. So how does day three do this in, uh, in closing? How does, how does day three do some of this stuff that, that I've talked about that Paul says that we ought to, ought to do? So kind of before the band comes and, and we have an invitation time, uh, here's some things that we do. We've got financial software that helps to manage the things. Uh, we do an internal evaluation of that, how the finances are, are used. We have a receiving team that is different from the expending team. In other words, we've got different people that count the money and receive the money than write the checks out. And that way you've got some accountability there because the people receiving the money and counting the money. There are multiple eyes there as they do it. There's never just one person dealing with it and counting the money uh, that you give. There are multiple eyes there that are watching that as, uh, as it's given. We have a, a, a treasurer secretary that uh, is our expending agent for, for paying the bills and writing the checks and things like that. We're currently putting together a three-person finance team. Um, Bill Compton had been an administrator before, and, uh, and, and Bill's not with us doing that, and we're trying to evaluate how best to, to approach it. And we're putting together a finance team of three people that along in addition to the secretary and the leadership team, There'll be a finance team of three people that will also monthly get a report, and they will also oversee what the, what the leadership team sees to, uh, to, to just keep everything completely uh, above board. Uh, right now, our financial secretary provides the leadership team a report every month of the finances, and that is available to you anytime that you want it. Copies are available uh, for you to pick up and, uh, and, and look at. Uh, we list in our updates every week what came in, how it was divided out, where we stand for the month, and everything like that for you to see. Uh, we prepare an annual budget that's placed before the church uh, that's recommended by our leadership team, and there's a vote of the church that empowers that budget uh, to be used. Uh, we've got a good, honorable relationship with our bank. Here's a free advertisement for First Citizens Bank. We've got a good you know, relationship with them and good standing with them because we have loans with them on our properties and buildings. We have, I have to give them an annual report for their audit, for their underwriters to look at. So the bank also you know, looks at our finances like that every year. Um, 
Uh, neither I nor any of our pastors count the money. If there has been, recently, there, there's been sometimes because uh, Greg Price is normally the one that goes through and helps get the money out. Uh, but recently, we used to have some kidney stone problems and things like that. It couldn't be gotten out by him. We didn't want to leave it in the pedestals all day long. So what I did was this. I went and got the key, and I had two other people watch me take it out, put it in an envelope, signed it, taped it, put initials over where the tape was, and they saw it go in the safe. I, I'm just wanting you to know we try our best to be above board with what's given. Lynn just came in. He's going to share with you just a little bit in a minute about the African mission trip. I promise you what's used there will be above board in how it's given. That's what Paul is saying in this passage of Scripture. We need to be above board in how we deal with our finances. Our physical year runs from January 1st through December 31st each year, so we're roughly about halfway through this year. Uh, so far, we've brought in... Um, just to our uh, regular tithe, not talking about our designated gifts, but we brought in like $105,274. It's what we brought in through our our tithe so far halfway through the year. Uh, Our expenditures have been $102,986 right now uh, for this year, surplus for like $22,72.49 for the year. Uh, Right now, the African Missions offering stands at $4,592.00. Uh, we give uh, nine, almost ten percent of everything that we come that comes in away to missions in uh, in some way, uh, whether it be benevolence or to the Southern Baptist Mission Board or to the International Mission Board or Macedonia Missions or other things uh, like that. Uh, currently, we've got thirty four thousand one hundred and seven dollars and one penny in the checking account. So that's just to give some information. Over the 10 years that we've been in existence, we have sponsored for 10 years a national missionary through Macedonia Missions to be trained to go out and pastor and start churches in, in the bush out in Africa or in cities in Africa. Of course, we're raising the funds right now for the roof and to send uh, other, you know, to have other ministry take place there in Africa. We supported mission trips to Guatemala, uh, UTH's skate jam annually to where they win people in a very different way to Jesus. We've done things like Operation In as much. We provide a financial support for the local Caldwell Association, for the State Baptist Convention, for the Southern Baptist Convention for the International Mission Board, for the Home Mission Board. We set aside finances for benevolent purposes, and we never, ever have enough because there's a great need right now in our culture of people hurting to where we try and help people pay their bills, their electricity, you know, uh, whatever it might be like that that we can possibly help with, their medication, whatever it is they might be needing. We've helped fund individual mission trips for people, children and youth to summer camps. I, I could go on. I'm just letting you know you know, some of how it's used. Um, USA Today says that 9 out of 10 consumers in their 30s are in debt in some way. So, you know, some of you may be, I was talking about having a little bit of a competitive nature a moment ago about, you know, being encouraged to be generous by a competitive nature. That's what Paul was doing between Macedonia and Corinth and everything. Maybe you need to have a little bit of competitive nature in your own heart and say, well, uh, how am I giving this year in comparison to what I've given in the past? Or you might be in a competition you're not even aware of or haven't thought about. You may be in a competition to your generosity because you have all the other bills screaming at you and you don't feel like you can give. If that's where you are, we've got some people in the church that are good financial advisors. We've had things like Financial Peace University, other financial classes. If you need help, if you'll let us know. We'll try and get you with somebody that can set you down and help you 
with your budget so you can feel like you can be generous and without having to worry so much uh, about it. How do we give it day three? We don't pass a plate. We've got the pedestals on the back wall. And we've encouraged you to start giving that during our invitation. And you go there and give it as an offering to God. And you pray over it and give it as a gift. Our heart is that we can be a generous people. We recognize based upon the text this morning, generosity is encouraged when you feel like you've got a safe place to practice generosity. If you feel like your generosity will be honored and managed correctly. And that's our goal. That's our goal at day three. And I want you to hear this. Please hear this. It's not about the money. It's about people and their souls. Please hear that. We're not to love money and use people. We're to love people and use money to meet the needs of people and lead people to Jesus and increase the kingdom of God. I honestly believe if everybody that attends day three would buy in to giving as we should give, if we will buy into that and give as we should give, we can turn this area upside down for Jesus. But it takes money to do that. The band's going to come and play. What kind of invitation do you give to a song like this? So I mean, to a message like this. I don't know what kind of song John's got. I, I think I do. It's something about God help me or something. <laughs> I think Maybe that's appropriate, you know? about needing God's help, because we do in everything, especially how, how we give. But I mentioned a moment ago, through our generosity and through ministry that we can have here, we can turn the region upside down. I understand I've talked about giving, and if you're here and you're a lost person, you don't even understand why you ought to give. So here's the deal with that right before the band plays. Jesus is the most generous person in the universe. He gave his blood on the cross for you. And if you'll trust in Jesus, he'll turn your life upside down. Let's pray. Father, God, help us to be generous. Help us to guard the way we deal with finances here in this ministry that people can feel like they have a safe place to be generous. Father, if there's someone here that doesn't know Christ, I pray right now that you'd turn their life upside down, that they would have the faith they need to trust in you. Father, I pray you'd empower our church through giving and generosity that we have the funds to turn this community in this region, this area, upside down for you. God, bless our giving to Africa and other things that it will glorify you. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Please stand. You are listening to Sermon Audio from Dayton Church. If you have any questions about God, faith, or our church, email us at info at dayfreechurch.com. And for more information, find us on the web at dayfreechurch.com.